your fears. That's a great promise that we see in the Bible, but it's such a difficult thing to comprehend and understand because I don't know about you, but fear so often has a tendency to control our hearts and our minds. You know, uh, YouTube has some awesome, awesome videos, and I'm just going to be honest. I'm not much of a cat person, and uh, I like to, to tease cats. You know, and there's some great there's some great videos on YouTube just uh, giving cats a hard time. If you just go on YouTube and search cats with cucumbers, check it out. It is truly awesome. Here's the basic synopsis of what's going on in those videos. These cat owners are just taking your normal average cucumber, and they're sneaking behind their cat, and all they're doing is they're placing the cucumber somewhere out of the cat's vision, and then they secretly back away. And they're just videotaping, watching. As soon as the cat turns and catches a glimpse of that cucumber, fear overwhelms the cat, and it jumps like 50 feet in the air. Amazing. I love it. I'm going to try it if I can borrow your cat. But, you know, here's the thing. These cats are being completely surprised by a simple cucumber that sends a significant reaction all through them of fear. And my question for you today, what's your cucumber? We all have a cucumber in our life. We all have some sort of fear, whether you want to admit it or not, that overwhelms you and consumes you and controls you. We all have it. And it immobilizes us. It destroys us. It brings us down on so many levels. We find ourselves waking up in the morning when the alarm bell rings and we're just overwhelmed by the fear and it follows us us through the day and it, it, it goes with us when we try to fall asleep at night and fear just consumes us. And did you know that the Bible actually has a lot to say about fear? In fact, in the Old Testament, a young man by the name of Joshua was set to lead the Hebrew nation after Moses died. And as the magnitude of that moment was hitting him, God spoke to Joshua and gave a command three times. That's very important for us today. Check this out in your notes or on the screen. In verse 6 of Joshua 1, God says to Joshua, Be strong and courageous. And then in verse 7, God comes back and says, Be strong and very courageous. And then in verse 9, God circles back around and says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Three times in that dialogue, God tells Moses or God tells Joshua to be strong and courageous. And when the Bible repeats itself, it's something that you better pay attention to. There's something very important that God is trying to tell that person and all of us today that we need to be strong and courageous in the midst of our fears. But understanding fear is really a complicated thing, is it not? Because attempting to overcome fear is a definite challenge that, if we're honest, we all have. We all have that wrestling match, that challenge of overcoming fear in our life. And before we can overcome fear, we need to understand it. We need to realize what it's all about and understand that fear originates in the conditional might. That's where it starts. It starts in the conditional might. And that phrase actually comes 
from the book written by Dr. David Jeremiah called What Are You Afraid Of? And I encourage you to get that book. It's really a great book that deals with a lot of elements of fear. And the greatest fear that we all struggle with that this book highlights is the conditional might. This is the threat of what might happen, what could occur. Maybe it's a loss of job or an illness or a terrorist attack or whatever it may be. And let's face it, every one of us fears something. Every one of us fears something. We all contain worries about something that could happen. A cucumber. That once it gets a hold of us, it knocks us off our tracks. And fear is no respecter of people. It crosses racial lines. It doesn't matter how much money you make or what country you live in or what status you have in this world. Every person has a fear in their life that consumes them and controls them. And I believe that fear is rooted in the devil's work as he attempts to take away life's fulfillment. You see, Jesus came to give life to the fullest, but the devil tries his best to destroy that, to take it away. But Jesus even said that in John chapter 10, verse 10. Look at these words from Jesus himself. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. You know what fear does? It robs us of the living life to the full that Jesus wants to offer you. Takes us away. And the devil's work, his battleground is your mind. If he can control you and consume your heart and your mind with fear and immobilize you away from Jesus... He wins. And he's going to make every effort for you to walk away from Jesus. But Jesus comes to give life to the full. My friends, fear is an epidemic that every person that ever walked this earth is affected by. Even those who seem to have it all struggle with fear. And in his book, Dr. David Jeremiah shares the reality of this. He says, Jennifer, like some celebrity, Jennifer Aniston, Cher, and Whoopi Goldberg are all afraid of flying. Barbara Streisand has the fear of strangers. Michael Jackson was haunted by the fear of contamination, infections, and diseases. But the celebrity with the most phobias is Woody Allen. He's afraid of insects, sunshine, dogs, deer, bright colors, children, heights, small rooms, crowds, and cancer. He is overwhelmed with fear. And even as you study in the history books, all those amazing, amazing leaders of the past who we think are fearless leaders, who did extraordinary things, struggled with fear. Did you know that George Washington was scared to death of being buried alive? Richard Nixon was terrified of hospitals. And Napoleon Bonaparte, the fearless military leader, political mind of history, was scared of cats. He needed a cucumber. Here's the thing. Fear has wrestled, people have wrestled with fear all throughout history. This is not a 20th century issue. Did you know that in the Bible, the most frequently repeated command is fear not? This command is repeated more than 300 times. Over and over again, God tells us to fear not. The word afraid appears more than 200 times. The word fear 
occurs more than 400 times. And as you flip through the pages of Scripture, you will find more than 200 individuals that are said to have been afraid at some point. This includes those heroes that we look up to, like David, who took on Goliath the giant, or Paul, who withstood great persecution to advance the church, or his apprentice, Timothy, and so many others. What does this all mean? It means that you are not alone. You're not alone. You are not the only person in the history of this world that has ever been overwhelmed with fear. We've all been there. And maybe we're all there right now. You're not alone. Yet in the mind, in the, in the mind storm of what might happen, This isn't even no thing. Just jot down Matthew 6. I really encourage you to go read that. And in Matthew 6, Jesus is giving his famous Sermon on the Mount. And in that speech, God, Jesus says that we should not worry about tomorrow. He says, why? Because tomorrow has enough worries as its own. Focus on today and know as you focus on today that God's in control. I got this. I got it all taken care of. Just like I took care of the birds and the fish and every animal that walks on this earth. Don't you realize that you are more important than them? I got this. I'll take care of you. And in those words, that's repeated all throughout the the scriptures, we can find calmness in the midst of the crazy fears and storms that we face in our minds. But to find calmness that Jesus wants to provide you in your heart and your mind and to move beyond your fear, there's some significant steps that we need to take. Jot this down. Moving beyond your fear starts with trust. It starts with trust. Everything begins and and, and founded upon our ability to trust. And our ability to trust develops from our belief in knowing something is true. And so you need to ask yourself a very important question. Do you know Jesus? I mean, it's so simplistic, but the most important question you will ever ask yourself... Do you truly know the Son of God? And I'm not saying you know about Him. You know Him. Are you walking with Him? Are you hanging out with Him? You know, do you know His promises? Because as you know Him more fully, like He says in Matthew 6, we will understand that He is in control. And once we know these promises, we have to ask ourselves, do we believe that they're true? In your heart of hearts, do you believe what Jesus says is true, that he is in control? Because once you develop that true belief in your heart, trust naturally develops in that belief. It just naturally occurs. It's true in so many elements of our journey in life. Trust is developed from our belief in something. When I was a youth pastor years ago, one of the things we always did at youth retreats was the famous trust fall. Maybe you've done those before. You know, you're standing on a platform similar to this height, and you're trusting your peers who are standing, facing each other, holding arms, and you just turn your back to them, cross your arms, and you just fall back, and you're praying to God that they will actually catch you. Why? Because you believe that their locked arms will catch you. And so because of that belief, you trust them. And the same is true in our journey with Jesus. 
Do we believe that He is in control? He's got this, and that He will take care of us. In the Old Testament, we see the reality of this trust that overcomes fear with this man named Joshua that we just spoke about a moment ago. This was a trying time for the Hebrew uh, nation. They were, uh, they've been wandering for decades. They were led by Moses through all the deserts, through all the struggles that they were facing. And now Moses died, and they were not yet there. They were not yet at the promised land. And the focus now turned to Joshua. Now you lead these people. And you can just imagine the magnitude of that moment. There's so much more countryside to, to, to go through. So many more enemies to pass. And so just imagine for a moment, you're Joshua. In this, in this time period, just think of the fear he had. The uncertainty of what's going to happen next. And in that moment, God began to speak those words that we just read a moment ago to be strong and courageous. And the first time God said that was in verses 5 through 6. Joshua 1. Look at this with me. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will trust, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because I, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. In this command, God not only gives a command to be strong and courageous, but he provided a promise catch it? God told Joshua that I will be with you. He will be with you. He says, God says, be strong and courageous. And why can you have that ability? Because I'm right by your side. I'm right by your side every step of the way. Joshua journeyed with Moses for a very long time and he saw God come through and do amazing things over and over again, always taking care of them on their journey. And in this moment, God was reminding Joshua of all the times that he came through for them. And this should give us the, him the ability to trust him. Just like God came through with them yesterday, he will come through for them again today. And that same promise is for us today as well, that God will be with us. He will be here. Do you believe that, God? Do you believe that Jesus will be with you no matter the circumstance? No matter how big the fear of what might happen may be, do you trust that Jesus will be with you? See, oftentimes we struggle with knowing that he will be with us because we too easily forget how God came through for us in the past. This was the reality of the Hebrew people. They quickly forgot how God came through. I mean, if you just go back and read their story when Moses first came on the scene and and how God worked through Moses to do miraculous signs and wonders to free them from Egypt. And then once they were free from Egypt and started their journey, the Pharaoh sent the Egyptian army after them to, to get them and bring them back. And God, in that moment, opened up the river. And they walked through, the Hebrew people walked through a dry land with the river all around them to the other side. And as soon as they got across, God brought the river back together and destroyed the Hebrew, uh, Egyptian army, army that was following them. And just days after seeing and, and being a part of this amazing thing that just took place, the Hebrew people began to grumble. 
They forgot everything that God just did because now they were so hungry. Saying things like, Moses, it would would be so much better if you just left us in slavery than bring us out here. You know, we struggle with the same thing, too. Our memory tends to be so short-lived of God's awesomeness and how he always comes through for us. How he's always there. Knowing and remembering how he came through yesterday should give us the strength and courage to make it through today. Because he's the same God. And he's God. Look at these words in Psalm 91, verse 2. It's written, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. The Bible says there, there's words that God is our refuge. In other words, he is our safe place in the times of danger and hardships and struggles. God is the person and the, thing, and the guy that we can run to in the midst of all the storms and find safety. He is our fortress. In other words, he is our stronghold, our protection from the things that might happen. And here's the crazy thing. We often have more fear of the conditional might than the proven fact of trust in God that he will come through. That God is our refuge. That God is our fortress. It all comes down to our focus. Is our focus more on our fears of what might happen or trust in Jesus that he will always come through? Where's your focus? Here's the bottom line. Jot this down. Moving beyond your fear involves focus. It involves focus. It's kind of like an automatic lens for a camera. If you've ever taken a picture with an automatic lens, you know, you're, you're trying to zoom something in. And if I'm up here and I'm trying to take a picture of our awesome tech booth in the back, you know, the Italian stallion Bill back there, he's an awesome guy, isn't he? You guys don't agree with me. Is it Bill awesome? All right, there we go. All right. Thank you, thank you. I'm trying to take a picture of Bill back there with my automatic camera lens, and someone in the middle jumps up as soon as I'm about to snap the picture, and what tends to happen with an automatic lens when something gets in the way? The focus transitions to whatever the obstruction was that jumped in the front of that picture, and what I'm trying to focus on gets all blurry, does it not? And the same is true in our spiritual journey. You know, in our life, we try so hard to focus on Jesus, and we have our automatic lens focusing on him. But then the fear becomes the obstruction that jumps in the way in our mind, and then before you know it, our automatic lens spiritually makes Jesus all blurry as it focuses in on the fear that that grabs a hold of our hearts and our minds, and it just consumes us, and it controls us, and it beats us down. You know, we try to focus on Jesus. Yet if you're like me, that cucumber, the conditional might just gets in the way. Gets in the way. But going back to Joshua, God circled back around and told him to be strong and courageous. Let's go back to Joshua 1. Look at this, these, these words in verses 7 and 8. God says, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law, my servants. Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, 
that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. You see, first God gave Joshua the promise with, with the command that he will always be with him. And now in this moment, God is then circling back around and challenging Joshua with his focus. He's saying, Joshua, I just told you before, I will always be with you. Now you need to focus. Now you need to understand that. It's so easy to focus on the dangers, the fears that, of what could happen. And let's be honest, this for Joshua was a very turbulent time, and a turbulent time for the entire Hebrew nation, as they're all struggling with the question, now what? Because there's so many more territories of enemies to cross before we get to the promised land. It was too easy to focus on the dangers. It's too easy to focus on the fears that consume us and immobilize us. And it happens far too often and far too easily for all of us today. And when fear consumes us, it's like we're frozen. We can't move forward. And we're stuck. Why? Because our focus is not on Jesus. Our focus is on the conditional life. What might happen. But if we can shift our focus from what might happen to the God of fulfilled promises, there you will find the calmness from the storm in your mind. You will find the peace that you seek. But in order for us to take those steps and to understand that in your own business, there's some steps that God showed Joshua that we need to do. First is this. Focus involves meditation. He told him focus involves meditation. You know, God told Joshua to meditate on the book of the law. Do not turn from it to follow it. For, for us today, that law is God's Word, the Scriptures, the Bible, and so chock full of promises, encouragement, and, di- and direction for us to live by. When we don't focus on God's Word, then our minds are so full of other things that consume us and control us and bring us down. And don't get confused with the idea and the word meditation. Unfortunately, sometimes we see that word and we get mixed up and think it's all about crossing our legs, sitting around the fire and singing Kumbaya. That's not the meditation. Meditation means just pause for just a moment. Let his word sink in. Process it. Understand it. Let his word consume you. See what God is trying to say. And for many of us, we struggle with the slowing down. What tends to happen is when we read the Bible, we quickly, quickly read a chapter or a verse, almost like we're checking off a to-do list, like I got that chapter done on my reading list. And what God is saying is we need to pause from the craziness of this world, from the craziness of, of what's going on in our mind. Just stop. Slow down. Focus on what He is trying to say. Process it. What is He telling you? What is He speaking to you? What is He guiding you? Let His Word sink in. And then from there, focus involves obedience. Here's the reality. If we just stop at knowing the word and not following it, there's a significant problem. There's a disconnect in your relationship with Jesus, and you're not going to experience the full calmness and peace that he wants to provide. At some level, you've got to transform your knowing into following. Years ago, I was having a cup of coffee with a self-proclaimed scholar who happened to hear me preach where I was preaching at that time. And this person wanted me to go deeper. 
And what he told me is that, you know, he knows all the stories. He, he understands. I mean, he reads the Bible inside and out. He gets them all. And he knows there's uh, a lot of people that I'm speaking to, and not everybody is up to his standard of knowledge, and, and he gets that. And he, what he told me in, the, in this moment is, you know, there's so many times I'm just listening to you preach, and I already know that story, and I just feel, yeah, yeah, that's good. Just move on, is what he really told me. And I just paused for a moment. I said, really? Is, is this the mark of mature Christianity? That I already know the story? Move on like I'm in some school class? I just learned math? The mark of mature Christianity is not what you know. You want to know what full mature Christianity is? It's what you do with what you know. That's the wisdom that God talks about. The wise follow God. They walk with Him. Like God told Joshua, when I say turn left, turn left. When I say turn right, This word obedience, let's not let's let's not be denied this. It's a very tough word in our society today. We've been led to believe that I do not need to obey you. That it's my life. I don't need your rules. I can live life my way. And in this mindset, we have come to believe that the rules that Jesus provides are merely a hindrance for living life to the fullest. But then we forget what Jesus said in John 10 10 that he came to give life to the full. And because we have been led to believe that his rules are a hindrance, this has shaken our ability to trust Jesus, the foundation that we're trying to build. We don't trust him, we're not following him, and we're missing out on the peace that he wants to provide in our life. But what if, what if, these rules that Jesus gives are not a hindrance, but what if they're actually a path towards the Think about it. You've tried to live life your way. You've tried to live life by your rules. How's that work out for you? Have you found that peace? What if we gave Jesus a chance? What if we truly followed his rules? Not just to listen to them, but we truly did our around uh, the, the rock, the water does, and we stopped with our tour guide before we got to that rock, and the tour guide said, you need to make sure you go right. Do not go left. Left is danger. Go right. Like, yeah, that's good. When you get up to the rock, right is pretty narrow. 
left is pretty wide open. And, you know, the current's starting to pull that way, and it's like, I ah, know, it's, you know, I'm not going to really fight the currents. I'll go that way. I mean, it's wide open. What can, what can be so bad about that? So we start going that way. I look behind. My dad's raft is coming up behind us, and everybody else went to the right. And here we are. As soon as we made that choice, then we learned what the poor guy was talking about. As soon as we made that turn and we were in, like, the there's no turning back mode, the current hit us. And if you've ever been on that, that, that path, you go to the left of the rock, and the current just be, turns into the swirl, and it just slams you against the rock. And so my raft, we're all, we're all powering as hard as we can to get through that current, and we just narrowly make it through to the other side to the calm waters, and we stop throwing, we turn around to watch my dad's raft, and we see his raft did not make it. His raft then slammed against the rock, and slowly it just went up the rock, up the rock, up the rock, and flipped over, putting everybody into the water. And we started circling back around trying to get there to help them and get them out of the water. And what I didn't realize in that moment, one of the Boy Scouts, he got hit by the current which shoved him underneath the rock and he was stuck in the current. And my dad also got stuck in the current and put him under. It came him under and thankfully the force of the current throwing him ran into the other kid and they got pushed out on the other side of the rock and they popped up on the other side and floated down. You know, I learned something that day. First of all, when the poor guy tells you to go a certain way, go that way. Secondly, life is so much like that, isn't it? You know, Jesus says, go this way. I, trust me, go this way. But God, that seems like such a narrow, uh, shallow-minded path. This way looks so much better. This way looks so much bigger. I mean, I can handle this. And as soon as we take that step of no return, the current hits us. And then we realize, oh, He will be with us. But God never promises that he will give us what we want. So often we, we intertwine our wants and our needs together, but God says, I will take care of your needs, but I'm not going to give you all what you want. He never promised that. And what he promised is that in the midst of the storm, I will be there. I will take care of you. See, jot this down. The promise is this. God will supply all our needs. He will supply all your Tomorrow's taken care of. He's got this. Let's trust him today. Circling back around to the final time that God said to be strong and courageous was in verse 9 of Joshua 1. Look at this with me. God said, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you. God gave like the sandwich effect. Did you catch it? God said, be strong and courageous because I will be with you. Then he says, be strong, very courageous. Why? So that, or how? So that you can focus on me. Take, focus on my word. Follow me fully. And he circles back around and says, be strong and courageous because I am going to be with you every step of the way. I'm with you. Some of you guys may, may, may need to circle those words that God will be with you wherever you go. Some of you may need to type those words out and hang them all over your house as a constant reminder that God will be with you wherever you go. Because He is. 
He always has been. And he always will be. We can find calm in our fears because God is with us. We don't need to be afraid anymore. God's in control. He's got this. It's like Jesus said in the New Testament, how he took care of all the things of this world. Aren't we more important? Don't you think he will take care of you as well? He will supply us what we need to get through every day. Wherever that cucumber is, whatever is the conditional might in your life, give it to God. Know his promises too. And focus on him. Look at these words in Isaiah 41, verse 10. Say, do not fear, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous 